0: Hi, it's Christy from Life Struggles, and I'm super excited for my next guest. He's just an amazing person all the way around. His name is Tim, and Tim survived a 27-year addiction to alcohol and drugs, bipolar, and suicide attempts. He finally found the courage to get the help that he so desperately needed to save his life after his wife found him in the basement with a rope around his neck, standing on a bucket. This story will touch your heart. Please help me welcome him. Tim. Hi, today I have a special guest that I've been waiting and very excited to listen to and talk with, and his name is Tim. So please help me in welcoming Tim. Hi. Hi,
1: Christy. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it.
0: I'm so happy to have you here. So tell me, what is your biggest life struggle?
1: My biggest life struggle would be myself.
0: Yourself.
2: Myself,
0: interesting. Is there self-love problem or a self-hate problem, or both? Um,
2: and
1: I think that stemmed from my my bipolar. Okay. I really do. Um, so
0: tell me about your bipolar.
1: Okay, so at, at the age of fourteen, I was diagnosed for, with bipolar. Um, mm-hmm. I was always up or down. I was either 100 miles an hour, or I was. I didn't have no emotions. I didn't want to do anything. There was never no in between with me. Mm-hmm. Um, like I remember being a kid when when Christmas came around, I would get so excited I would actually get sick ten days before Christmas. Really, and actually have the flu and have a fever because my my emotions were so high for Christmas every year for like seven eight years in a row from the age of like five to twelve i would get actually physically sick the week before christmas and my mom always just thought you're just so excited for christmas All right and as the older, older i got it did diminish because the older you get you realize about santa and, and your parents and stuff like that mm-hmm. but as a child i was so excited and if i didn't get something i would be so sad to where I didn't want to play. I didn't want to go out with my friends. I just wanted to be in my room. And my mom, we're talking early 80s. So my mom, we didn't really know anything. There wasn't a thing
0: called bipolar.
1: No, we didn't know anything. She just thought I wasn't a very emotional emotional young man. But as I got into middle school and I started playing sports, um, she noticed a change in me. Um, when when it was time to, I, I was on a baseball team, a football team, I was almost a professional skateboarder, so I had a lot of athletic talent. Um, I was a junior Olympic boxer, so I, I did a lot of things in my teenage years. And when I won, the high of winning would stay with me for almost a week. But when I lost. I didn't, I, I don't want to play football again. I don't want to box again. I don't want to play baseball again. You know, I throw away my skateboard. I just didn't want anything to do with what I truly loved. And she started to realize, well, that's kind of not normal. You know, losing is a part of life right. and you have to get used to it. And I right. never got used to it. I just didn't like it. And if I didn't win, I just didn't want to do it.
0: Um, Was there yeah. any anger issues with that?
1: It was not really anger, but it was more, I would put everything on me. It was always my fault. Okay. I would always make me the center of attention of of the blame of the reason why my football team didn't win. Maybe I didn't catch that ball. If my baseball team didn't win, maybe it's because I didn't throw enough strikes. I would always take the full blame rather than the team itself. I would always make it about me, a self self-centered kind of a like of a, like your
0: ego took over.
1: Yes, yes. I've always had a big ego. I really have my, mm-hmm. my entire life. I always have. And um that's one of the things I've learned to get over in my sobriety. I still have it, but it's not as huge as it was. But at the age of 14, my mom was like there's there's something going on because when you're sad, it, it takes weeks for you to come out of your bed. You don't shower. You don't want you don't want to get your hair cut you don't want to hang out with your friends so they ended up taking me and and talking to a psychiatrist and a psychologist and they ended up doing some tests. And how many <clears> years <throat>
0: was that into? I'm sorry? At how many years was that into before that happened?
1: Um so probably I started all my sports at eight. So by the time I was 14, so seven years. Seven
0: years before you got diagnosed.
1: Yeah seven years before she actually took me to an actual professional Uh and we actually sat down and did all the testing and and the doctor came back he's like I I think your son has bipolar disorder and she's like what's that and he's like you have a b and c receptors in your brain and the a and c are not connecting they're they're getting miscommunicated by the b receptor so there's like misfiring in the brain Mm -hmm. and when he gets really high up of he can stay that way because the, the A, B, and C aren't connecting. So instead of having little tiny valleys and, and, and mountains, I would go to the peak and then come all the way down to the very bottom of the ocean. There was no no middle ground. It, it was like a roller coaster of emotions, and it was no normal – I want to say normal emotions because um, normal people wouldn't act the way that I did. Um, so when he came out and said I had bipolar my, my mom did not want to hear that no no my son there's nothing he does not have a mental illness you know he's just a very emotional kid he's very passionate about what he does you know he, he likes to win because he, he's very outgoing And so she denied it from the age of 14 to the age of 16 so I, I was not put on any medicine she figured she could take care of it at home um, keep playing your sports, you know, I'll talk to the, i talk to the coach, let them know that you're just really into the sports and you really want to play and you really want to win. And maybe they can talk to you. So for two years, nothing, nothing was done.
0: So there actually not... more like nine years then.
1: Yeah, technically. But at the age of 14, right. I was actually right. professionally diagnosed. Right. So at the age of 16 um, going into 11th grade of high school, I actually had five close friends of mine commit suicide. Wow! Age sixteen and seventeen. Yes, wow. um, within five months.
0: That's insane.
1: It, it made the. They made, the, it it like made the, that, the, Yeah, no, it made the, it made the national paper down here um, on the East Coast because they they called it the Parkville Curse. I live in a, a county called Parkville, Maryland, and they called it the Parkville Curse. And um, were,
0: were any I, of these planned together? like did these no but that's what they thought
1: they first thought it was like a a uh a cult like they were killing each other because they had an agreement to do it but three of my friends two of them killed themselves because their girlfriend broke up with them (laughs) one of them killed themselves because their parents had to move to michigan and he didn't want to move because all his friends were here in maryland one killed himself because he rear-ended somebody in his brand, not in his brand new, but he had a 1968 Camaro that him and his father worked on and it was all done and refinished. And it was the first day he took it out. And I guess he lost control and, and hit somebody with the end of his car. He went upstairs and, and shot himself with a shotgun.
0: And Oh my gosh.
1: Yeah. like and, it was,
0: and you don't think that there's any, like they never talked to each other about that or got ideas from each other or anything.
1: So like out of the five friends, I I was kind of,
0: were they friends too?
1: Two of them were really good friends. The other three were kind of not, but I was kind of the person that I didn't hang in a clique. I didn't hang with the sports guys. I didn't hang with the drug addicts. I didn't hang with the rock people. I hung out with everybody. I was one of like the popular kids in school. Okay. So I hung out with a lot of people. A lot of people knew me. I was very friendly and very outgoing. And, and so I, had a, I had a pretty cool house. We had an in-ground pool. So I always had parties at my house. So everybody kind of liked hanging out with me. I was kind of like a social butterfly in high school.
0: So In other words, you weren't in one click.
1: Correct. Yeah, I hung out with everybody. It just depended on who I felt like hanging out with that weekend that's who I hung out with. Um, so I knew them from different different cliques, as you, would, as you will say. Um, what so
0: size they were, town was this? Town. The size of the town.
1: Um, is actually one of the bigger counties in Maryland. Um, probably two, three hundred thousand people in our
0: county. I mean, it's but, pretty. Uh, but, so, when you said these five kids, were you talking about in the county or in the town? School. Okay, so that's the same in high town. school. So,
1: so f- in
0: one town. How big was maybe that? Maybe ten, s-
1: 10 square miles. Population wise, maybe five thousand. In our, in our, in well, our. That, you know
0: what I'm sorry, but I think that probably gave some ideas. Absolutely, no,
1: it, 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 it did. It did. It had to. Yeah.
0: Okay, I, mean, I, I, I mean, want to read something to you real fast, if you don't mind. This is for our readers too. What I was doing when I was looking down at my phone, since I can't do it off the um, laptop here, was looking up. The Signs of Bipolar. Um, and this 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 comes from, and this is where I get all my information when anything is mental health related or medical. And that's from mayo.com. Yeah, yeah. So that's where I'm getting my information. So it's so, and you can tell me whether or not you've had the, these because I don't know if somebody would have all of them or not. So, you can answer that. But so we start out with um, having sad, empty, or hopeless feelings most of the time. That's one. Trouble sleeping at night and staying awake during the day. Is that one of them? Both know? of them.
2: Both, uh, yes.
0: Often feeling worthless or very guilty. has anybody ever went through these signs with you before
1: a long time ago and um when i went to rehab in march of last year we kind of went over this whole spectrum again um and with bipolar it actually doesn't get better it gets worse with age
0: ouch okay work family or social life is suffering all the time all the time at times feeling very revved up and or irritable.
1: That's the manic mode.
0: Yep. yep. Yes. Having one sign alone does not mean you have bipolar depression. Um, if you're concerned, so this is to everybody listening, that you may have bipolar depression, make sure that you talk to your doctor about screening for bipolar so those, you had every one of those?
1: Yeah, so there's, there's bipolar one and bipolar two.
0: Okay. Bipolar,
1: means- yeah, bipolar twos when you don't have all of those symptoms. Bipolar one is the full spectrum of symptoms. I have bipolar one. So-
0: Is that kind of like uh, diabetes one and two? It's more serious,
1: yeah, yeah. Um, and, I mean, like you know,
0: is one one the lesser of the two evils?
1: No, one's the worst of the two evils.
0: And then diabetes isn't it the other? Person? Oh, I don't know about
1: diabetes. I don't know. I don't well, I I, know. I,
0: I'm not asking you that. I'm, I'm like kind yeah. of thinking in my head, isn't I'm not really sure. I really don't know. My brother has diabetes. I, I'll ask him. Does he <laughs> take insulin?
1: He takes insulin. He also has high blood pressure and heart problems. So that's
0: that. See, and I always wanted to know which one. Is the one that you, you end up with the insulin and all that. Right. I, I never can figure out if it's diabetes one or two. Okay. Yeah. Well, it doesn't matter now. We're not, you don't have that. So yeah, let's go on. Um,
1: so they did not dose me with bipolar one. And then, you know, as I researched and got older and we started looking at things, it actually made sense. Because when I was in my manic modes, okay. I was an exceptional athlete. I was one of the best people on the team when I was a boxer. I made all the way to the junior Olympics, almost the Olympic team because I would train harder and longer than everybody else. I couldn't get unfocused. I was so laser focused on what I had to do. I wouldn't come down. That would lead me to not sleeping for hours. And if I did fall asleep, I would have racing thoughts of thinking about what I had to do the next day. And I couldn't really get a full night's sleep.
0: Gosh, that almost sounds like somebody on cocaine or something.
1: Yeah, no, it, it really is. Like you yeah. can't close your eyes. And as soon as you close your eyes, you have all these pictures and images going through your head about what's going on in your life and what you have to do and how, how you can try to solve them or fix them or, or how, how you can do that. That's been all the way like that my entire life up until march 5th 2021 when i got sober so all the way wow. from the age of 14 so, until 24.
0: so what happened when you got i mean like how how did things change when you got sober what did that have to do with the bipolar or didn't it Edison
1: started to work because i wasn't doing drugs and alcohol As long as you have drugs and alcohol in your system, it doesn't matter how much medicine they give you. None of it's going to work because the drugs and alcohol are in your system. Gotcha. But I always denied that. And I never told the doctors I did drugs and drank alcohol. So they would always switch my medicines. Well, this isn't working. Let's up the milligram here. Oh, you've been on that for six months. Okay, well, that maybe that's just not for you. Let's try this medicine. And then, oh, that milligram is not working. That's up that. Well, if we do these two together, you know, they, they might work. Well, if, if those two aren't working, why don't we try these three together? So for 20 plus years, I was on this buffet of different psych medicines that never seemed to work. And it was always stemming from my drug addiction and my alcoholism because it wasn't allowing it to do the job that it was specifically made to do.
0: Wow. Okay, so then let's go to when you started. Did you start drinking first or doing drugs or both at the same time?
1: My very first time I ever drank was ninth grade in high school. We had um, a freshman year party, you know, like everybody going to high school, my buddy had a party and I drank and I got so sick. The whole next day I was throwing up. I mean, the whole hangover thing. Oh,
0: And that that wasn't enough,
1: huh? No. Well, my mom knew I was drunk and she was having a summer party and she made me shuck 50 ears of corn as my punishment.
2: And (laughs) she She
1: said, I don't care if you get sick all day long. You're shucking all these ears of corn. People are coming over by one o'clock. Make sure they're shucked. So I did that. I didn't touch alcohol until my senior year after that. So from ninth grade all the way to senior year, I didn't didn't drink. I didn't do drugs. So my punishment kind of helped. That and I was so sick, and it was the first time I drank. And, and honestly, I remember being—I didn't like the taste of it. I think I was just doing it to have fun at the party and to kind of fit in my ninth grade year, um, because it was like three different high schools or three different middle schools coming together to the one right. high school. So I was kind of like, "Yeah, I was socializing, trying to meet new people, and stuff like that." So, but my senior year, um, I already signed up for the Marine Corps, okay. so I already knew I was going into the Marines as soon as I graduated.
0: Well, you get tested for drugs and stuff then, don't
1: you? Get tested for drugs. So I was like, you know what? I got a whole year before I go away to the service. I think I'm going to have some fun. So I started drinking. I started doing um, LSD. I started doing doing PCP. I forgot LSD
0: was even around. Is it Yeah.
1: Uh, Mushrooms, LSD, PCP. I started smoking pot um, and I started drinking on the weekends. And quickly, the weekends started to run over into the week. And about halfway through my senior year, I, I found myself cutting classes, going, getting high, drinking with my friends, grades started to go down. But at that point, I didn't really care because I knew I was doing the Marines. I wasn't going into college. I really didn't care. As long as I graduated, it didn't It didn't matter to me about my grades and doing well in school.
0: Okay, now stop. So man. I want to yeah. ask you something. Because this always amazes me, but I also like to get that message out there. So, first of all, did, were both your parents at home, or did did you come from a one parent home? Or
1: oh, and that that affected that that affects me still to this day. So, at the age of six years old, my father and mother got a divorce. Okay. Um,
0: so that and I, you, we'll go to that, um, but. So you had just your mother. Did your mother not, was she not aware that you were skipping classes? Did she not see that your grades were going down? Or She was probably busy working. She
1: had two and, jobs. She had two jobs to take care of me and my brother. Um, and she would very rarely check my grades, just as long as she knew I was getting up and going to school in the morning and that I was home- when she got off her second job mm-hmm. and I ate, and I, and I took a shower and was ready for school and I didn't seem like anything was off. Um,
0: Isn't that, and this is something that I want to get out to parents be, and, and I'm not blaming them. Okay. Because my parents both worked. And I mean, I, I know the routine, you know, they get, They got home from work and you know, mom had to cook, dad would go take a shower, then would eat as a family. And by the time we, you know, mom got us kids taking our showers and doing our homework and all that after we ate, dad was passed out on the, and I don't mean from doing anything but working, but he worked long hours, but in the recliner, you know, with the TV on and mom's telling him to go to bed. And I mean, that's just how our life was. And After, after, when we went to our rooms to do our homework, they never saw us again. We could, we could be sneaking out the window. We could have been doing drugs right inside our bedrooms, whatever. They, they didn't even think about that stuff. And I'm not putting blame there. I'm just saying that's the way that it was.
1: It's life. It happens. It really does.
0: But so the message I want to get out there to parents is, to try not to do, to try to pay more attention, even though we're tired, or whatever it is, but check their grades. You know, don't go in, make an excuse to go in their room to, to say goodnight, or I just want to sit down and spend some time with you. Those kind of things so that you can hopefully stop them sooner.
1: Yes, absolutely. And, and I, I do that
0: i have i have three
1: girls three um one's 23 she actually very sadly she just moved out last week um so that's that was a little hard, that's hard. that that was a hard one and half her stuff still here she's coming to get the rest of it this weekend so that's oh that that's, that's that's a rough one um and then I have a 14 and a 10 year old um but they're happy because the big sister moved out and now my 14 and 10 year old So they had their own rooms. Room. <laughs> now they get their own rooms, and my fourteen-year-old is really excited because she gets the whole upstairs where oh. I made a whole big room for my older daughter because I actually have a three-year-old grandson. Okay, so he had a room, she had a little kitchenette, a whole walk-in closet, a bathroom, a living room area, her own bedroom. Like I made the whole upstairs like an, almost like an apartment for her. Right. So my middle daughter is absolutely through the moon.
0: She gets to move upstairs. <laughs> she gets the my ten- apartment.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, but um, I I I, ask, I check on them every day. How was school? How was school? What did you learn today? Did you have a good day? Um, my ten-year-old is she's the sweetest out of out of all three. She's the sweetest, the most caring one. Um, my middle one is both me and my wife. She's a little sassy, but she's very caring and um. But she doesn't have that many friends, kind of like my, my wife in high school. She hung out with her own group of friends, where I hung out with everybody. Everybody, yeah. And then, and then my oldest daughter is a spitting image of me, but a female. Um, she actually has bipolar. Does she? Um, really?
0: and yeah. So, she
1: does. You know
0: what? That's one thing I didn't see on there. Is it genetic?
1: Apparently, it is because apparently, so. my my mom's father, who I never met. Um, he died at the age of 52. He died before I was born. He actually had mental mental disorder. He had bipolar and schizophrenia. And now, how did else. they know
0: that? How did they know he had well, bipolar when that wasn't even a thing?
1: Maybe maybe he didn't say they said bipolar, but he had schizophrenia, multiple personality, and some and something else. Um, and then as my mom met her other sisters on that side of the family, they said be thankful you didn't grow up with that man because he was an alcoholic. He was a pedophile and he beat, he beat your mother up. So,
0: and you think that came from bipolar being bipolar or schizophrenic too?
1: Obviously schizophrenia. I mean, and to be that nasty of a person, um, you know, and and I kind of wonder if my addictive personality also came from that side of the family as well.
0: So Um, they did have addiction too.
1: Yeah, a lot of my, a lot of my cousins, a lot of my aunts and uncles, um, actually on both sides of my father and mother's family, and it's and it's funny because my mom never do, never has done drugs in her entire life. She drinks a beer like once every five years, and she doesn't even finish it. So she's never really been an al- She never really drinks alcohol. She was actually a professional bodybuilder when I was growing up. So mm-hmm. my mom was extremely healthy and, and fit. And my father was a police officer for 36 years. He would drink on occasion. Um, he never really had any issues with alcohol and he never did drugs himself.
0: And so, okay, well, first of all, I want to tell you what I found. And then I'll ask you that other question. It says bipolar disorder is frequently inherited with genetic factors accounting for 80% of the cause of the condition.
1: I didn't know it was that high. Wow.
0: Yeah. So that's that's pretty high. Um, It says if one parent has bipolar disorder, there's a 10% chance that their child will develop the illness. So there you go. Um, So the other thing I wanted to ask you, since we brought your parents into it, and I know we're kind of going, but I I really want to cover this stuff. Um, Did you see your dad often? Was there a good relationship there?
1: No, and there still isn't. Um, Mm -hmm. So at the age of six, he left. And my brother's 10 years older than me. So he's actually 10 and a half. He was almost 17 at the time when my father left. And um, I remember as a kid, my father leaving and him telling me all the time, I'll come back next weekend and pick you up and we'll go to a park or you can come spend the night with me. And I cannot tell you how many times I had my bags packed waiting at the front door and my mom would get the phone call. Your dad's not coming again this weekend. He had to work or something else came up. It happened so much as a child that there was a point when my dad said he was coming to get me. I didn't even pack anymore because the chances of him coming to get me I knew were slim to none. And it really affected me. It made me feel as if why wasn't I good enough for my dad to stay around? But he stayed around till my brother was almost 17 years old. Was I the reason that him and my mom got a divorce? Why didn't my dad love me? What's wrong with me? Um,
0: so now that you're an adult, have you talked to him and ever asked him those questions?
1: So when I when I got out of the Marine Corps at 22, I bought a house on the same street as him. We were wow. literally 30 houses away in townhouses. And I lived there for five years and I saw my dad three times. We, I just, I never, so up until this past couple of years, I never forgave him for leaving me. I always blamed him. Well, why didn't you love me? You know, why, nev- why haven't you ever reached out to me to try to have some type of relationship? And he wouldn't tell me this. He would tell my mom, because they still still talk. It's not my job. He's the child. He's supposed to reach out to me. I'm I'm the parent. He's supposed to come to me. And here I am as a child or a young man thinking, well, you're the parent. You should be coming to me. I'm your child. So we would always.
0: So there was visitation and everything set up. But he was the one making the excuses not to come. But yet he's going back and saying that you should have went to him.
2: And come sounds, to find out, you know, that as,
0: sounds egotistical to me.
1: I so as I got older and as I realized it wasn't my fault that my father, like other women, and he liked to run around on my mom. My mom couldn't take it anymore, and I realized it wasn't my fault. It's then I realized my dad was a self-centered, egotistical,
0: narcissist. Um, <laughs> narcissist,
1: um, always about himself, and he still is. He, I mean, he's seventy-five, and he, and he hasn't changed. Um, I haven't spoken to my father in three and a half years. I haven't seen him in three and a half years. This Sunday coming up will be the first time I've seen him in three and a half years because he's coming to my daughter's baby shower. She's pregnant again. I'm having another grandson. It'll be the first time I've seen him in three and a half years. And... He called my mom last week and asked her for my phone number because he doesn't have it. And she said, well, what do you need his phone number for? He said, well, i like to reach out and speak to him because I haven't seen him in three and a half years. And I don't just want to see him on Sunday after not speaking to him. He still hasn't called me.
2: Hmm.
1: So, Interesting. you know, when I went to rehab last year and, and, and the therapist were talking to me about my father, because honestly, I use that as a crutch to drink and drug. I use that I as a reason. That. It, I, I was like, well, my father didn't love me. You know, I, I'm just going to drink it away. I'm, I don't want to think about it. I just don't want to have those emotions. I don't want to feel anything. I, you know, I don't want to feel worthless. I don't want to feel unworthy of his love. All I ever wanted was my dad to tell me he loved me.
0: So that child is still in there. And is that something that you're working on? Yeah.
1: And, um, no,
0: there's, there's a saying um, that we need to forgive and then we need to forget. But I believe, this is just my opinion, that yes, we need to forgive. Okay, because if we don't forgive, we're, we've got that sadness in us all the time. And it's, it's not just sadness, but anger too. Um, I was told by a minister that if I didn't forget, then I really wasn't actually forgiving. But I think that there's certain actions and certain things that either we've done or somebody else has done to us that we need to remember so that we don't repeat those same things. 100% Okay.
1: Hundred percent. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, during during my 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 newly found sobriety, I have come to not forget what he did, but I have chosen to forgive him because I can't change the person that he is. Exactly. And my mom says he loves me and, and, and I hope that he does. Um, he's hasn't said it to me in a very long time. Like I said, three and a half years we haven't spoken, but I now know my father's an egotistical narcissist asshole. And,
0: and maybe he doesn't even know that that's, you know, well, I think he does. You think he's, he knows he's one is. of these, you think he would admit that he's narcissistic?
1: Oh no, because that's, that's, that would take away from him. Yeah, absolutely. Uh,
0: He's one of these guys. So that's what I'm saying. Like he might know, he might know certain things, but until you actually accept what you are and do something about it, you really don't know. Somebody can tell you over and over again, this is what you are and you need to get help and whatever. But if, especially narcissists, most of them don't say, Gee, you're right, I am. The first thing they're going to do is go bull. Okay, so anyway, we were talking about your dad and how that made you feel. And this is something you're still struggling with too, correct?
1: It is. And, and it wasn't until I got sober um, last year and, and really started to dig deep mm-hmm. into the why, into the why I did drugs and why I did my, I was an alcoholic. What was I trying to suppress? What was I trying to forget? Um, and, and my father was one of the big issues because I always felt like I wasn't good enough, um, that he wasn't around. And who wants to feel that? You know, I, 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 I sure that. as heck didn't want to feel that. Um, that's that's a, a very dark, hopeless feeling to feel as if you're not wanted by a parent. Um,
2: so well, I, I, hope,
0: I hope that your therapist does ask you to not on that day, but um, reach out to him and, and actually ask him those questions that you're feeling so that you can get some closure on it, whether he likes it or not whether he gets up absolutely and
1: and that's exactly what my sponsor says too he said you know what you're at that point you're on that step making amends and making a, a moral right. searching inventory of yourself and he said and and whether he wants to make amends or not he said this isn't for him this is for you and this is for your mental health and 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 for you to move past and to get better right. so I came to the conclusion over the last year that even if I don't get that, I'm sorry, which I'm not looking for, but it would be nice. Um, Even if I don't get son, I've always loved you. I need to let him know how I feel and how it's made me feel over the last 30 some years. Exactly. Um, That would be a huge weight lift. That would be one one of the things that I am still holding on to that i think will free me a little bit more into my sobriety
0: and absolutely and and here's the thing as as long as it's you that is saying i forgive you for not being there as my father that's actually going to make you feel better believe it or not it will and it, i know and you know yeah. what once you do your stuff it's all on him
1: Yes, and, and you know what? And that's what my sponsor said too. That's exactly what he said. He said, "Remember this: you're doing this for your health." Right. He said, "It's not for him. It's not to let him off the hook. Right. It's not." He said, "This is for you and you only." And he said, "And don't have expectations." He said, "Because they'll only let you down." Exactly. He said, "Go, go in there, tell him what you want to tell him. Tell him how have made you feel." He said, "And then at that point, you let it go, okay. or you try to."
0: Okay, so now let's go back to your all your party and before you were going into the military and, and how that escalated.
1: Yeah, so um, like I said, I started on the weekends. I found myself cutting school, um, going during the week, and then um, I knew I was going into the Marine Corps, so I, I stopped doing all the drugs. Um, I had about two months before I was going in, so all the drugs completely stopped, because I knew I was going to get You had that tested. figured
0: out, didn't you?
1: Oh, yeah. I, I had it down to a, I had a plan. I was like, I'm going to have fun this year, because next year, shit's going to hit the fan, and I I, I get really got to get serious. So I thought it was a phase. I figured I was getting it out of my system. I was doing what normal 17, 18-year-olds did.
0: Whatever and, that um, is.
1: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, but when I when I got into the marines the drugs 100% stopped because we got tested and it just it couldn't but the alcohol the alcohol consumption escalated 10 times fold
0: you know I wonder why the military doesn't watch out for that more often because there's so many that I mean I know that drinking is a a legal natural thing but they really do need to keep a better eye out on those that are abusing it so that they can get them help before it's too late to. It was,
1: it was almost encouraged. Um, Their motto was, if you're old enough to take a bullet for this country, you're old enough to have a cold beer. And we would go to the local bars and their only rule was you couldn't sit there with the beer in your hand in case the authorities walked in you had to take a drink and sit it on the bar table or, or oh, the Oh, so bar. that
0: was even if you weren't of legal drinking age then. I was 18. So 18, well, 19, 20. Okay. So because yeah. when I turned um, 19, it was drinking age. And when I turned 20, they moved it up to 21. So okay. they, they grandfather clocked us in, the ones that were oh, able wow. to start at 19, Okay. Uh, no, um, for us,
1: for me, it's always been 20, always
0: been 21. Okay.
1: Yeah. But so I was 18, 19 and 20 in the service. And, and, and the only rule was you can't stand there holding it with a beer in case of the authorities walked in, but they would serve you. Well, all they night even long.
0: allowed you to be illegal.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Like I said, they incur, we would see our sergeants in the bars and they would say, just make sure you're up at 3.00 AM to go running.
0: So maybe
1: that helped you guys cope, too. Cope, and and it was like a rite of passage. um,
0: Okay. Kind of. What is that?
1: Well, so being in the Marines, um, again, that's an ego thing, because I wanted to be in the hardest military branch out of all the branches. Um, They had a, they had a, stigma about when you're in the marines you're you're a marine you know you're not a soldier you're not an air force
0: cadet right right. i got family marines
1: yeah and um that we were held to a higher standard so we were expected to be all in all the time which my bipolar exceptionally helped me in the marines i was always top five in my class on everything um I, i was i was squad leaders. I was guides. I, got, I was in charge of the guys. I was always on the go, 100 miles an hour for three years. Even medicated. So I never told the Marines I had bipolar or else I would not have been able to go in.
0: That's right. You wouldn't have.
1: And I never took medicine for three years. So from 18 to 20, I was okay. unmedicated. So I was on a full manic cycle for three years. There was no off. I had no off time. So when I got home at the age of 20, and and I did six months in Somalia, um, it was not during wartime. It was during peacetime, but it was right after 95. And um, I still, we were shot at, I saw dead bodies. I, I mean, I saw it all. I just wasn't physically active in firefights I didn't actively kill anybody but I was still in that situation when I got home in 95
0: you just didn't you but you just said you saw it all which is traumatizing Oh yeah
1: yeah absolutely I mean I I saw dead bodies dead people burnt bodies blown up parts I I I saw it all but I my personal I I was never shooting at anybody nobody shot directly at me but I was in that I was in that zone. I, I mean, I was there. And um, when I got home at the age of 20, my mom let me move back into my house, into her house, because I, I obviously I was still 20. And um, the first month, I was kind of like, you know, I, man, I don't have to get up at three o'clock in the morning anymore. I can sleep in. My bed doesn't have to be square. I don't have to be straight, dress a certain way. I don't have to eat certain things. And that first month was kind of like, like relief.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: It got into the second and third month. And my manic turned into depression.
2: Wow.
1: Yeah, I started to realize I was no longer in the service. I now have to take care of myself. I don't know what job I'm going to do. Um, I don't know how to take care of myself because I thought I was going to be in the service for a very long time.
0: So why did why did you not stay in the service?
1: Um, after my third year, um, I had broken my ankle three times within three years. And I was 03, 0311 Infantry. So it's the hardest, one of the hardest MOSs to have in the military branch. And they told me I was no longer uh, physically fit to continue my last year of service. So they gave me an honorable discharge and they sent me home.
0: Okay. So that would be that hard.
1: affected me as well too because I was like, man, I only had eleven months left. I couldn't complete my four-year contract. I kind of feel like I wasn't good enough for them to keep me on for eleven more months. Um, that was weighing heavy on me. I was home now. I don't know what I'm gonna do. But here's here's my thing. I don't know what to do with the rest of my life. I'm 20 years old, and I'm thinking I don't know what I'm gonna do with the rest of my life. Um, I got extremely you do depressed. know and
0: realize that. Even at 25, most people don't, they're not even mature enough to know what they're going to do. And, you know, I just found
1: out past last year what I want to do with the rest of my life. And I'm 44.
0: I know. But my, my thing is, what the hell are they doing saying at 18, you're legally an adult and can make adult decisions when it's bullshit. You're not not mature enough. You have not long enough.
1: That's why the military takes you at 18, because they break you down and they build you up the way that they want. They change your perspective on everything. They change the way that you think, and they they want you to think like them. And it it really did change me. Um, When I came home, my mom, she'll tell you this. She said, the Marines is what really took you over the edge. I sent them a strong young man, and they sent me home a broken young boy. And she'll say that to this day. She said, what you had to go through broke my son. She said, you are not the same person that I sent in there at 18 years old. And she said, that's when my addiction really kicked off is when I got home. That third month when I got home, I was suicidal. Um, I, I took my father's, my stepfather's gun and I put it in my lap and I was contemplating using it. Luckily, at that time, I had a girlfriend and I called her and I told her, I said, hey, I don't know what to do. I, I, I'm sitting here with the gun on my lap. And she came over within five minutes and she got, put it away and she talked to me. And I told my mom how sad I was. I never told her about the gun. I didn't want her to freak out, I guess. Um, and well, at the age worried
0: of, all the time.
1: Exactly at the age of 20, almost 21 at that point is when I went back and saw the doctors. Um, And I got back put on medicine after three and a half years of not being on medicine. Um, At that time, I I wasn't doing drugs yet when Mm -hmm. I first came home, but I I was drinking some, um, but not as much as I was in the Marines and not as much as I was my senior year in high school. That took about a year for me to get back into really drinking because I started to hang out with my friends again because I'm home from the military. I'm reconnecting with my old friends from high school. They're all still doing the same thing as when I left high school. They're all still partying and having fun. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to have some fun again. I've been away for three years and very strict life. And I'm going to go have some fun. Well, that fun turned into the next 25 years of my life. Okay,
0: then let's go from that point. Wow.
1: Yeah. Um, I came home. Um, I had a girlfriend for about a, uh, 10 months. We broke up and um, I met my wife, whom um, I've actually went to middle school and high school with. So I grew up with her. I did, we, we weren't boyfriend and girlfriend, but I grew up with her in the neighborhood. I knew her.
0: Were you even we met Were you friends?
1: Yeah, we were friends. We actually were friends in high school. She actually dated one of my real good friends for all four years of high school. So that was my girlfriend's buddy. She was just one of the, she was one of the guys. When we hung out, she was always with them. She was one of the guys. Um, She liked to party back in the day. So it was kind of like hanging out with a a friend.
0: Um, Uh, I just want to ask you something real quick. So it is that guy still your friend? He is, but he moved to Oregon. I haven't seen him in 20 plus years. Okay. Because- one of the standards is, doesn't matter how much time gone is gone, <laughs> you don't date your best friend's ex. <laughs> he didn't have it a problem a little, with it.
1: He never said anything to me directly. Yeah. Um, he was one of the nicest guys I've ever met in my entire life. He still is. Yeah. Never confrontational. I don't think he ever got no fist fight in his entire life. He was just one of those really cool, sailing, mellow guys. Um, he, he was the pot dealer in high school. So the typical hippie, pot smoking kind of a guy, just wanted to get along with everybody. Laid back and, laid back and never, never confronted me or said anything to me whatsoever. Um, and my wife, she's never brought it up that he had ever had an issue with it. By the time I got back, he had moved to a different county, so he wasn't around. Um, And the, the, the more we got into our relationship and got married, had our child, he done moved to Oregon. Um, so that's been 20 plus years. We haven't, I see him on Facebook or something here and there. I see some pictures of him, but we've never really connected after that. No, no, nothing like that. And now it's been so long. It's, I mean, me and my wife been together since 1996. Okay. So she's my wife now. You know what I mean? That was high school, you know what I mean? So, but, um, uh, so I met my wife um we got together um I had some money saved up from the from the military so at the age of uh 20 almost 21 when we got together I went and bought a townhouse we moved in together
0: now how uh, did year, you do that was, or did, was that did you get some kind of just did you get disability no I've life? never
1: I've never asked for disability I never will
0: did they give um, you a settlement?
1: They gave me three years of Montgomery Jai bill, which was like forty eight hundred bucks. Um, and then I say every month then I got paid. I say um I only got paid every two weeks, but I would send one paycheck home to my mother.
0: Okay, but didn't they also I, I know they do this in the army. I thought it was in Marines too. Don't don't you also get like um low percentage loans? Yes.
1: Yep, okay. VA loans. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, that's how I got I got okay. I got a VA loan okay when I got out and um it was, I got a, I mean, the house was like 72000 that It was a townhouse and I was 20. And I think our mortgage was like 500 bucks because of VA loan. That's
0: high though from when you were 20.
1: Yeah. But, you know, I, I was the only one at 20 years old I of all my friends that had a house. You oh, yeah. Sure. I mean? Yeah. And they were all like, how'd you get a house? I was like, well, I, I did three years in the military. I saved half my money and I got a VA loan and, through the VA loan, I was able to buy myself a vehicle and, and we had a nice little townhouse. So after we've been together for a year, we had our first daughter. Um, and the drinking at that point was only on the weekends because I had a job. My wife had a job. Um, she was pregnant. Um, we were act- I was actually doing pretty good in my early 20s as far as keeping the drinking to the weekends. Okay. But when I did drink in the weekends... It wasn't one or two beers. It was a 12-pack. It was some shots. It was until I threw up or passed out.
0: So it I'm curious, did you go out and drink, or did you, were you at home and drinking?
1: Thank God I was never a bar drinker. I always liked to drink at home. Go I ahead. don't even want to know what you would happen if I went drinker? out. No, my wife was never a big drinker. Not, still to this day, she'll have a bottle of wine. i sitting sit in the refrigerator for two months. Um,
0: and she never said anything to you about drinking too much or
1: it would, and I love her to death because obviously she put up with me for this long, but she definitely wasn't a neighbor. She would say, I think you're drinking too much this week. Can you, can you take next week off and, and, and not drink? And I would do that every once in a while, just to appease her. I I wouldn't drink for 10 days. But then I would drink again for about a month, and then she'd be like, You're drinking too much again, okay, okay, okay. I, I won't drink for the next couple of days, and then I would pick it back up. That was a cycle, that was a cycle for a very long time. And she would never, and she would always give me, Well, if, if you drink again next week, you're gonna have to go stay at your mom's house because I can't put up with it. So, so she I addicted tried to her. and
0: set some boundaries, she
1: tried, but she would never stick to them. Um, mm-hmm. I would give that three or four day cushion to let things blow over and then i'd sneak a six-pack into the refrigerator and and she'd be like well i thought you weren't drinking well it's been four days i haven't drank whatever tim whatever and it was kind of like that for a very long time um which i loved her to death but she definitely didn't help in that situation
0: which has been her fault because she probably didn't even know how has yeah. has, it, has she gone to any meetings with you
1: she's gone to she went the only meeting she has went to was my one year anniversary um she's a very uh i wouldn't say introvert but she's very to herself she doesn't like her stuff out there for the world to to hear yeah um
0: well the only reason i'm like asking is because um I don't. I don't know about where you live, but we have Al-Anon too. We have that. We do, and that's always suggested to the other half, whether you're married to them or they're, you know, your partner, whatever you want to call them. So, and your kids even, you know, if you're an adult you have kids. There's Alateen, and that's so they don't become an enabler, and so that they understand the things that you're actually going through. But, so I just wondered if that was, that
1: you know, was- I have brought it up to her several times and her, her, her response, thing. her response every time is I don't need to sit around and listen to a bunch of people. Tell me something that I lived through for 27 years. She said, I don't want to rehash it. She said, I, I want to move on. You're sober. You're going to meetings. You share. I go to different States and I speak at men- for mental health and addiction. Um, She's like, and I, I, I don't want to rehash it. She says, you know, I want to forgive and forget and move on, which for her that's what that's what works for her. For me, I, I believe the more that I speak, the more that I share, the more that I can help somebody that truly believes that they think that they're alone. There's no hope and there's no way that they're going to get sober when that is so far can from the part, truth.
0: Our Al-Anon, I mean, I only went for like three years. Um, and I wasn't married to an alcoholic. I've never even dated an alcoholic and I've never, I and I don't drink at all, but my, my father turned into an alcoholic. So it wasn't genetic thing. It was him going through a divorce that he didn't want to have with my mom. And it just, he got no help and he you know my mom wouldn't let him see my brothers I was older so he didn't have she didn't have a choice with me I was I was in high school already so she couldn't tell me no you can't go see your dad but she kept the boys from him and that hurt even more and so the more he hurt, the more he drank and he became an alcoholic but it wasn't a genetic thing I believe that there I did trace it back and there is on my mom's side, but, um, my dad's side, we found one person. So that doesn't necessarily mean it's genetic. You know what I'm saying? But on my mom's side, it's definitely addiction period is just genetic. Um, so I think if you, you know, there's a difference between becoming an alcoholic or having the genes of alcohol, not, not as far as what you have to do about it but whether or not it's going to, how it's going to be passed on. I mean, Absolutely, it, yeah. so I, but anyway, I went to Al-Anon when my dad um, started his AA and that was those years that I went was to learn how not to um, enable. It wasn't, we didn't sit around and share stories of what we went through. It wasn't like that. Now, I, I don't know what it's like now, but that's we. Were, these were more like lessons on what not to do to, to enable that person.
1: Um, that behavior. OK.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's what ours was. And that's what I got out of it, it was just the things not to do and, then, and obviously not to blame yourself and, you know, that kind of stuff. But anyway, so I just wondered if there was I don't I don't even know if that's a thing anymore. So that's what no, I was. it is.
1: Yeah, no, they, we have them all here in Maryland. We have Alateen, Alan, and she just...
0: Okay, and, and that's her yeah. choice.
1: Yeah, my, my now my oldest daughter took it upon herself, and she went and got two books Did about she? an alcoholic parent, and she read them. Um,
0: well, you know, good for her, because that would help her understand.
1: Yeah, and, and that's my oldest daughter. She's 23, and that affected her the most, because she's, she's seen me the most, I mean... Mm-hmm her whole entire life, her father was an alcoholic um, and drug addict because um, going into my story, you know, I had surgeries and and I was on pain medicine for six, seven years in a row and doctors kept giving them to me. And it, so she seemed the worst of her father. Um, when I came home from rehab, she lives in my house up until last week. She didn't speak to me or look at me for nine months.
0: She was pretty pissed, huh?
1: she didn't want me in the house she couldn't believe that my wife took me back and um that hurt me so much because here I am I just did 32 days in a treatment why isn't my daughter speaking to me and my wife's like are you kidding me you were an alcoholic for 27 years 32 days is not going to change everything that your daughter has been through she's like just like they tell you she's like it's one day at a time let time heal and over time you should hopefully have a relationship and on my ninth month out of nowhere I get a text message from my daughter and it simply says dad I just want you to know how proud I am of you I love you thank you for letting me heal because I know you're healing too but I just wanted to let you know how much I love you and how proud I am of you
2: that was the
1: biggest gift that I received in sobriety because that's my firstborn child and I put her through so much and I never thought she was going to speak to me again. And now knowing that everything, thank God I was never physically abusive. Thank God.
0: That was gonna I, be the next question. If, if you, know, what kind of drunk were you?
1: I sure as shit was verbally abusive. I said the nastiest things to the people I love the most.
0: So you and, were emotionally abusive,
1: yeah, I, I definitely was and and it would I would either be the goofy, silly dad or the why did you move the remote, pissed off, irritated? Everything is on my nerves, dad.
0: Well, and, did that depend on what you were drinking? Yes, so I just wondered that because a lot of people have told me that whiskey if they drank whiskey, that they became very angry.
1: That's what got me into rehab. So I drank beer for the longest time. That's all I drank was beer,
2: Mm -hmm. beer,
1: beer, beer. And the last two years of my addiction, of my alcoholism, the beer wasn't doing enough. I would have to drink 18 to 20 beers. And those beers weren't doing enough, so I switched to the IPAs and the loggers—the ones with the more alcohol content—and they weren't just—they weren't just giving me that feeling that I wanted. So, so I switched was this to for,
0: to cover physical pain or emotional pain or both. Because you said I—you mentioned a little bit you had some surgeries.
1: Yeah. So um, I was always athletic. I always lifted weights. Uh, I was always physically fit. And throughout the years, I broke my body down from all the athletics. Um, so you had a mixed pain. martial. Yeah, I was mixed martial arts fighter for a couple of years. Um, I had two hernia surgeries, two rotator cuffs, two neck surgeries um, from breaking my ankle. Um, I actually broke my ankle five times within my life, but three times in the military. Um, within Don't you have plates months-
0: in your ankles? Don't you have metal plates in them now?
1: I do not. know. the military wanted to do surgery and put plates and screws in there. And I denied them because the Navy doctors in the nineties were not known as being such the best doctors in the world. So I I didn't want to leave there with a limp for the rest of my life. So I was like, no. So, but, um, you've never had
0: surgery on your ankles
1: had one surgery on my ankle and that was when I actually tore the tendons and ligaments and broke the bones. They had, they had, they had to redo the ligaments and tendons, but not for the bone itself.
0: So do you happen to have arthritis in them now? My left one
1: gives me problems when it's cold and when it's raining. I, I, I definitely okay. have that. Okay. Um, it's actually raining today and it's aching a little bit, but I go to the gym six days a week. And that really helps exercise. It really helps it out. Um, if I were not to do anything physical, I probably wouldn't be able to walk down the steps. Right. But I try I to stay. People need to know phys- that
0: too. They really need to stay active, even if the, something hurts. I mean, I don't. I'm not saying to overdo it or anything, but you you have to keep your body active, or you're going to lose all that muscle tone. You you know, you lose it faster than you can gain it back, right?
1: I'm actually, I'm competing in in my first bodybuilding show in June.
0: Oh, good for you. Um,
1: something that I've always wanted to do, but alcohol and drugs have always gotten in my way. And um, if I showed was you it, before... Was picture, it
0: when you were having these surgeries that you got into the drugs heavier just because they were yeah, getting so, you pain pills? Yeah,
1: when I got into the surgeries, they were giving me oxycodones, Percocet, right. hydrocodones. And it, I literally had five surgeries within like 18 months and they just kept giving them to me giving them to me and
0: and you me them and took them and took
1: <laughs> and being the addict that i was i wasn't taking one every four hours i was taking three or four every three
0: hours you know
1: and then before i know it that that month that month subscription was done in two
0: weeks so let me ask you this did you quit taking the bipolar medicine during that time
1: it I did. I actually, I went on and off my bipolar medicine all the time. So okay. when I first got back from the Marines, I got right back on it and I was on it for about three years
2: and it Does seemed to work. Sanitize?
1: Only if you immediately stop it.
2: Okay. So
1: it takes about a month for the medicine to actually get into your system to actually start working. So you actually have to have full 30 days of the medicine in your system to actually for it to start working. So if I would just were on it for like six or seven months, and I just threw the pill bottle away and just didn't take it anymore, I would have adverse effects. Okay, and I wouldn't be able to sleep. I would lose appetite, nausea, vomiting, headaches, um, a whole gamut of almost like flu-like symptoms. And then racing thoughts would start coming back. My manic mode would start coming back. My depression would start coming back, and they would come back more than they were before because it wasn't that that middle ground of the medicine trying to regulate Balance it, it, would, that, it would, be, would be up and down. So I did that on and off for years. Uh, I would do the typical, it's working, so I don't need it anymore. So why do I have to take it if it's working? Well, because it's working and that's why you have to take it. So I would always take myself off of it. I would always take go all down until it was done for that month and, and take one pill, one pill, one down until it was done. And always do the oh I didn't know I had to renew it and my wife like that bottle's been empty for a month sitting there why didn't you renew it because I'm fine I don't need it you I'm, I'm doing great you know I'm doing good at work I'm not having any outbursts I'm not I'm not laying in the bed anymore I don't need it I'm, but I'm did fine. they
0: continue to give you pain pills
1: they did and I actually I actually was the one that decided to stop taking um they were giving me so many pain pills. And they kept upping the milligrams. Honestly, the more pain pills that you take, it stops taking the pain away.
0: Right. Um, I was, so wh- how long ago was that?
1: Been almost five years since I haven't taken any, any opioid or any type of pain medicine. Okay. In
0: the last four years, at least maybe five, the federal government started going, uh-uh to the doctor you're going to do blood tests we're going to check and see how much is in their system you know you only stay on them for a certain amount of time
1: yeah now if you go to the emergency room with a broken ankle or whatever or say it's a broken arm they only give you enough for a week and then you have to go see a pain management specialist with your with your x-rays and everything that's going on
0: i I think that's good
1: it's it's awesome yeah, because the way that they were giving me, and I would, like I said, I would go through a month subscription or prescription in two weeks, and they'd be like, Well, why? Why you have two more weeks? I'm like, I'm in so much pain, it's it just not working. Okay, we'll just up the milligram then. Instead of five milligrams, we'll give you 10, or if 10 wasn't working, we'll give you 20. And that they kept doing that for close to four years straight. It got to the point where I didn't want to live like that anymore.
0: So you just made that choice on your own. Well,
1: I tried to take my life. Again? But this time I actually tried. I I was drinking on top of taking pain medicine. Okay. And it, it was actually scaring me. I was like, this is how people die. Taking pain medicine and drinking alcohol. This is how people die in their sleep. And I started to think about what a piece of crap I was. Here I am. I have three daughters. I'm drinking. I'm doing pain medicine. I can't stop. They keep giving them to me. I don't know what to do. Me and my wife were fighting. Um, I, I think I lost another job at that point. Um, and I just didn't want to be here anymore. And I, I remember going to my my, my bottle And I counted them out. There was 18 Percocets in there. And I took all 18 of them. And I drank 12 beers.
2: Oh, my gosh.
1: And I laid in the bed. And I said, please, God, don't let me wake up tomorrow because I don't want to live this way ever again.
0: (laughs) And He had different plans for you, didn't he?
1: I woke up that next morning. And the second bottle of medicine that I had for, the, for that month upcoming, I went and I flushed them all down the toilet. And I looked in the mirror and I remember telling myself, I don't care how bad this is going to get. I'm not taking pain medicine ever again. I was sick for about seven or eight days, throwing up, going to the bathroom, the shakes, nausea, couldn't sleep. It was one of the worst, if not the worst, feelings I've ever had in my life of withdrawal of opioids.
0: And actually, you specifically... should have had help with that. So
1: yeah,
0: well, now. I know
1: that you can actually kind of die from that. Can
0: die from that. <laughs> I, so, I didn't know. Do you, do you do you have um, spirituality in your life?
1: So many things have happened to me over this past.
0: So, you don't believe in a higher power?
1: I do. Okay. I absolutely. I, there's no other reason.
0: For you to be alive.
1: What I went through to what has been happening to me over this past year, other than a higher power thought for me that I had to go through 27 years of addiction and alcoholism to become the person that I am now, to be actually grateful for the life that he has given me, to be able to have the experience to share with those still suffering with mental illness and addiction,
0: for me to be
1: able to understand what they've gone through, and for me to share my story of hope and recovery. I was hopeless. I didn't think there was no way I was going to live. I I truly thought I was destined to, to die from this disease of addiction and mental illness. I thought there was no way there was a God if he's going to let me suffer like this. Little did I know that when I asked for courage, he wasn't going to give me courage. He was going to give me something to be courageous for.
0: That's you know, right. When I,
1: when I, when I yeah, asked for bravery. Ask for. Yeah, he wasn't going to make me brave. He was going to give me a situation where I had to become brave. Yep. I now know that things didn't happen to me. They were happening
2: for me. I never How was great.
0: Figure that part out on your own.
2: Finally, believing
1: in a higher power, to finally
0: so you accepting to his words.
1: So many things have happened to me that you—they're not coincidences. I stopped believing of coincidences the second week I was in rehab. Good the people good. that he had me meet in rehab. There was just one gentleman that walked around every day and read the Bible. And when I first got there, I was like, look at this guy walking around reading the damn Bible every day. Like, By the time I left rehab after 32 days, I was running the Bible study in the morning that he had left. The second week there, he was gone because he was finished his 32 days. And we were meeting in the morning before our first meeting at 8 a.m. It was an hour long meeting. And he asked me one morning, he goes, would you like to join me? And I said, you know what? I'm going to try something different because what I've done up to now hasn't worked for me. So I'm going to go ahead and and come to your morning meeting and see what what, what this is all about. And I showed up and he simply put his hand on my shoulder. He said, you're the first person that said you were going to come and actually showed up. He said, everybody else says, yeah, they'll come, they'll come, they'll come. And he goes, I have to track them down. He said, you're the first person that said you'd be here and you actually stayed here. So for the next two weeks, I didn't miss, I didn't miss one morning meeting. On the day that he was leaving, he said, so I'm leaving. And he goes, I would really like this morning meeting to continue while I'm gone for the other people that are coming in to help others who don't believe in God or higher power or or any type, any type of spirituality. And he said, and I'd like to pass this book over to Tim. And I started to cry. I didn't feel worthy for the next two and a half weeks.
2: That I didn't ran that make meeting so good.
1: It made me feel incredible. I didn't understand why he picked me.
2: Okay.
0: And he looked
1: at me and he said, "I didn't pick you." He said he picked you. That's right. He just had me as a tool to pass it on to you because he believes it's now time for you to understand his words. I I'm still trying to understand everything that's happening to me.
0: I love this story.
1: I don't understand why all this stuff is happening. I don't feel deserving sometimes. I really, truly don't. Um, Last week, I went to Kensington, Philadelphia, to speak about mental illness and addiction. And the gentleman running it is a minister. And after I was done speaking, he came up to me and said, may I, may I, I pray with you? Would that be okay? I said, absolutely. I said, go ahead. And he's praying with me and he's got his hand on my chest. And I posted this picture on Instagram. A gentleman was there. And he took a picture of this minister praying with me with his hand on my chest. And I have to show it to you. Okay. And he gets done taking this picture. And he comes over to us. And he says, you guys have got to see this picture. And we're like, what picture? He said, you're not going to
2: believe Before what I just Before you taught. say this,
0: can I ask you? Is there a light shining through it?
1: Yes. I said, you did something to that picture. He said, I swear to God. No. Nope. He said, I didn't do anything to this picture. because I didn't notice it when I took the picture. It was only when I went back and looked through the photos I that I saw that I saw that picture coming down. I lost it. I, I, the minister lost it. He said, you cannot deny the fact that you are being watched or you were chosen to do this. He said, this is where you need to be right now in your life. Helping others and spreading the word. He's like, this is why you're here. He said, This is your purpose now. He said, and I truly hope you you, you don't take it for granted. And I said, I don't, I I I I'm 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 getting I got that picture printed and framed, and it's hanging outstairs in my living room for a daily reminder that there's something special going on. You bet. And I'm not gonna
2: deny it.
0: I'm gonna show I can't. You. That's amazing, and I'm so glad that you got that.
2: Hopefully, I can find it quick. So, um had a lot of death in my family. Lately. And, uh, oh, I hope I didn't get rid of it.
0: Anyway, my aunt, uh, I've got it. Okay, so my aunt lost her husband, so my uncle, um, in August. And she's been having a really hard time. Well, it was just last week was their um, wedding anniversary. So she wanted to go to the cemetery and take some flowers. And she asked me to go with her. And she's got a lot of kids. The reason she asked me is because, you know, there's a lot of people that don't believe in going to graves. Um, And it's not that we think anybody's there. It's more of an honor thing. You know, we know that it doesn't just like you can talk to God anywhere. You don't have to go to a building, a church. Not that a church isn't good for you because that's community. But you can you know, I can sit right here and talk to God by myself. You know what I'm saying? Um, And I know that he's listening. And it's the same way when, you know, I've lost both my parents and, you know, I feel like talking to them. I don't have to go to the grave. They're not even there. You know, I know where they're at. So I can sit anywhere. Going to the grave on special occasions is more of an honor thing. For me, it's, yeah, so, yeah. But I always, I still sit in that quietness and talk to them. Um, but like I said, I could do that anywhere. But anyway, my aunt knows that I, I always go to my brother's graves and, and my parents and, and I take stuff. And that I don't have a problem with that. or And I don't think that it's, that they're there and whatever. So she asked me to take her. And I did. And so she went up and she put her stuff on the grave and everything. And she asked me if I could take a picture, which I did. And, and I did look at it and there was, there wasn't the light shining through or anything. And then as we're walking back to the car, she started crying and I said, would you like me to pray with you? And she said, please. And so I put my arm around her and I prayed and I, and I just asked God to take that sorrow away from her. And, and she, she's a very strong believer. Um, that's what's got her through all her struggles. But anyway, we got done praying. And she said, can you get a quick picture of the two of us? So I did. Let's see here.
2: That's nowhere else either. It's right
1: down on you.
0: Right down on me. She said, let me see that, because I said, every time I have went to my mom's grave, my dad's grave, my brother's grave, right after I get done praying, I take a picture of me being there, and I get that light. There is no other explanation. That's that's God's light shining upon us.
1: I had an experience in March 16th of 2017 that I ignored and i continued to drink for the next four years and it was the more it was the most i ever drank in my life and
0: i you can't not I, tell that experience
1: I, I, i'm about to tell. so i couldn't stop drinking I, I stopped the pain medicine but i still couldn't stop drinking okay. i didn't know why i just couldn't stop and there's a nice little reservoir down here in maryland and um Unfortunately, my senior year of high school, my best friend lost control of his car and hit a tree and lost his life at the age of 17. And there's a memorial on the tree. There's a book you can write to them. There's, you've never, it's still there. People put flowers on it. March 16th, of 2017, I, I'm driving through the reservoir and I'm beating the steering wheel and I'm yelling up at the sky, why am I here? What is my purpose? Please tell me why, why am I going through this? I, always, I just need a damn sign that I'm not alone, that something out there is watching over me. And I get around the bend and I get to the tree where Bill, my, my friend Bill died. And I get out of the tree, I get out, and I'm touching the tree and I'm like, Bill, I just need a sign, man. I, I, I'm, a, I'm a piece of crap, father and a husband and a son. I can't stop drinking. I don't know what to do. I don't know my purpose in life. I can't get it together. I just need a sign that I'm and I'm not alone. That, that that I'm here for a reason. And I get back in my truck and I go to leave, and I'm crying. I'm crying pretty good. And instead of parking on the right-hand side of the road where you're driving, I pull off to the left-hand side of the road when oncoming traffic. And I sit there and I park. And I think maybe ten minutes goes by, and I'm still crying. And this car pulls up in front of me. And we're bumper to bumper. And I see the man get out of his vehicle. And he has his dog. He's about to go walk over to where the water is. And I look up. And I realize it was my best friend, Bill, who passed away. It was his father, whom I haven't seen since 1996, 19 years earlier. I get out of the vehicle. And I see Mr. Bill. And he looks at me and he says, Timmy? And I fall to the curb and I start crying. And he goes, what's wrong? What are you doing here? And I said, Mr. Bill, I'm an alcoholic. I I can't stop drinking. I've hurt everybody in my family. I don't know what to do. And he comes over to me and he puts his hand on my shoulder. And he says, Timmy, I'm not even supposed to be here this morning. My bags are packed. I was supposed to leave for South Carolina at 6 a.m. this morning. My wife came to me in a dream last night and told me to come here at 10 10 a.m. this morning. He said, I truly believe this is why I was here to come and see you. And Mm -hmm. I said, Mr. Bill, I just stopped at Billy's Tree and asked him to send me a sign. And he said, Timmy, Miss Denise came to me last night and told me to be here right now. He goes, I was supposed to leave four hours ago. And we hugged. And I didn't acknowledge that specific event For the next four years, I drank the heaviest I've ever drank in my life. My addictive personality told me it was okay because something's watching over me and I'm going to be okay. That was the disease of addiction telling me that I was being protected and that nothing was going to happen to me. So I didn't have to continue to stop. I didn't have to stop drinking. It wasn't until the day before I went to rehab. I got kicked out of my home. My wife couldn't take it anymore. You finally did it. I Wrecked my brand new truck. I hit something on the way to the liquor store. I don't remember. I got up the next day to go drive. My wife said, go look at your truck in the driveway. And I went and looked. She said, you don't know what you hit, do you? And I said, no. She said, you can't stay here. You got to go figure it out. So I drive my truck to my friend's house.
0: Were Were you still drunk?
1: Um. I believe so, yeah. I was always drunk at that that point. I I was drinking fireball whiskey. I was drinking 25 miniatures a day the last year of my alcoholism. And they're two and a half shots a piece, so I was drinking 60 shots a day of of whiskey.
0: How's your liver?
1: Uh, When I got to rehab, it was almost four times what it should have been. And the doctor told me if I would have continued to drink like that, I wouldn't have made it to 48. So it, it goes along the correlation of how this all happened at the right time I get to my friend's house and he goes well you got kicked out of your house let's go to the bar I'm like okay sounds good we go to the bar oh I God. leave the bar the, the day after I wrecked my truck I leave the bar and I rear-end somebody
0: oh my not, God. it hasn't even
1: been 24 hours I get out guys are guys okay the, actually the back of his car was fine but my front bumper was messed up I slapped the guy on the back. It was on the shoulder. I said, I'm out of here. I got my truck and I took off. I was completely drunk at that point. Get to my friend's house. I'm like, I can't stay here, man. I, I, I got to go be by myself. I go to a park and ride and sit there for 48 hours and listen to sad ass music and drink for 48 hours. Just. And
0: you should have had a alcohol poisoning and died.
1: I have doing the whole whole, woe is me thing. I'm a piece of crap. I don't deserve anything. My kids deserve a better father. My wife deserves a better husband. The whole blame game thing. After 48 hours of having my phone off, because I didn't want to hear nobody. I turn it on at seven after 10 in the morning. Two minutes later at nine after 10, my childhood friend, Brandon calls me. He says, lodging. What the F are you doing? And I said, I'm in my truck, I'm drunk, I'm cold, I'm hungry, I'm tired. And he said, good, that's what you need. He said, I just got off the phone with your mom and your wife. We have a plane ticket set, sitting for you tonight at 8 p.m. You're going to go down to West Palm Beach, Florida. to go to Banyan Treatment Centers. He said, and I promise you, if you get on that plane, everything that you've lost, you'll get back 10 times fold. He said, just get on the plane. So- I hang up, my wife calls me like twenty minutes later. She's like, I just gotta talk up, uh, just talk to Brandon. Please come home, pack your bags, take a shower, try to eat something, and try to get a nap because it was only like two o'clock in the afternoon. She's like, Your plane leaves in six hours. I said, Okay. So I get home, take a shower, couldn't eat. I've been drinking for 40 hours. My stomach was messed up. I couldn't eat. Sitting on the edge of the bed. And I start getting anxiety. My panic attack sets in. I started thinking about, man, now I got to go to rehab. I got to really deal with the situation.
2: Oh my God. And it became overwhelming for me. My addiction popped in my head. It grabbed me by my hand and took me into the basement of my home.
1: It put a rope around my neck and stood me on a bucket and told me to step
2: off. My wife realized I wasn't in the bedroom anymore. She came downstairs and sees me in the corner of my basement,
1: standing on a bucket with a rope around my neck.
2: She says, what are you doing? And I said, I can't do it. She said, please, Tim, do you
1: know what this will do to your family? Please get down and everything will be okay. We can fix this. Please get down. So I get down, I I, I fall on the floor and cry for about 10, 15 minutes and go upstairs and I call my friend Brandon and I'm like, I'm going, I got to go. I said, if if I don't go, this disease is going to kill me. I was like, I I can't do this anymore. And he said, just do me one favor. When you get past security, please call me because I want to know that you're not going to get dropped off at the airport and jump in a cab and take off. I want to know that you're past security and you're getting on the plane. I said, okay. So I get there, my mom drives me, drops me off. I get past security. And I call him I say, I'm past security. I got 30 minutes till my plane leaves. And all he says is, I love you and I'm proud of you. I'll talk to you later. And he hangs up the phone. I go to sit down at my chair, waiting for the plane. And as I sit down, this overwhelming feeling of hope comes over my entire body it was a warm blanket feeling that I've never felt in my entire life the anxiety went away my panic went away my worry went away and something in my head said everything is going to be all right
0: what a relief it
1: was one of the most amazing feelings I've ever felt in my life when I got to rehab I wasn't nervous I wasn't scared. I knew I was exactly where I needed to be at, my time, at that time of my life to save my life. Because within that two or three days of processing, the doctors told me I wouldn't have made it to 48. My liver enzymes were almost four times. My blood pressure was like 163 over 120. I was almost, almost to a stroke level of, of, of high blood pressure. I was 25 pounds overweight. My face was always flush red. Uh, I was in bad, bad physical health. And um, it wasn't a coincidence that 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 happened at that time in my life. It wasn't a coincidence that I met that man of God in rehab. It wasn't a coincidence that when I got home after 32 days, that I found a, a program, a fellowship around my house called Over the Rainbow. And after five minutes of sitting I down... It poured down raining and somebody walks in from the from outside and says everybody come outside and look at the rainbow over the building
2: wow
1: it was at that moment i i stopped believing in coincidences i was like i'm right where i need to be this is the fellowship that i need to be this is the place that i need to go um i jumped in 100 percent, both feet into into sobriety into recovery I did 98 meetings in 90 days, got a sponsor. Uh, I do three meetings now a week. I go to the gym for my health, for my endorphins, for my dopamine, um, for my mental health. I do that.
0: Standard uh, bipolar medicine.
1: Bipolar medicine, believe it or not, actually works when you take it without drugs and alcohol. Go figure. go figure. Go um, figure. Um, they And I'm on the low, I'm on a low dosage because it actually has the ability to do what it's designed to do. Sure. Um, I I take a five milligram Lexapro and then I do take a hundred milligram Seroquel at night. And that's for, that's more of a a, um, psychotic medicine for my racing thoughts and my manic modes that actually helps me to sleep because if not, I would wake up every hour on the hour with racing thoughts and, and things I had to do and thinking about next week, month after that. And, and now when I take it, I can actually get a good five, six hours sleep before I wake up, but I'm only up for about five or 10 minutes and then I can roll over and go right back to bed. Um, I'm not uh, usually when I used to wake up, if it was three or four o'clock, I was up. That was it. Like there was no going back to sleep, whether it was three, four five or six hours. If I got up, my eyes were wide awake. And I was already processing what was going on for the day, the next day. And it was just overwhelming, that brought on anxiety and panic attacks, overthinking. Um, Now now it truly is one day at a time. I don't think about what I have to do tomorrow. I don't think about the bills that have to get paid next month. Um, I don't think about what I have to do at work tomorrow. I truly wake up in the morning. I say, thank you for giving me another day. Thank you for having given me a day of sobriety. Thank you for giving me a, a second chance of being a better father, husband, son, and friend. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to share my story. And when I go to night sleep, I say, please help me to reach as many people as possible suffering with mental illness and addiction in hopes that they know that they can recover and live the life that you've always had waiting for them. I say it every night before I go to bed. My prayers change. I don't pray for anything for myself anymore. I pray for other people. I pray for good things to happen. I don't ask for anything in my life. I have everything that I've ever wanted. And now I truly realize that. I used to always, why don't I have the big car? Why don't I have a lot of money? Why don't I have a nice house? I have what I've always needed right in front of me. But I never had the gratitude for it. I have a home. I have a job. I have a wife that loves me, a mother that loves me. I have children that have accepted me back into their lives as a father. I have my health back. I have the ability to wake up in the morning. What a special gift that is. You we have, do you know what the odds are that you were born? It's one in 400 trillion that you were actually born. We have already won the lottery and so many people take it for granted. We, you are special. I am special. Everybody that was born is a special person. We all have special abilities. We all have great things to accomplish. They say the greatest loss of gifts is in the cemetery. That's where books are unwritten. Movies were never made. Where stories came to an end. They were never never able to to live to their fruition. We have a, a chance to to change somebody's life, so that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to try to change one person at a time. It's that's I all. Have I, if I can no reach, no
0: doubt in my mind that that's what you're doing. No doubt whatsoever.
1: Don't ask for anything anymore. I just I just want to help people. That's all I want to do. I truly believe that's my that's my purpose now, is to share my story in hopes of helping somebody, and. That gives me such a great feeling. It gives me a feeling of purpose that I've never had before in my entire life. was so always searching for something. I was always searching for. I always thought I had something special, but I never knew what it was. I finally think I found it.
0: it kind of sucks that you had to go through all that to get to that point, but I
1: thought that in the
0: beginning. But you did thought that
1: in the beginning. I really did. I really have resentment of why did I have to do that? But maybe I had to go through 27 years or somebody else only had to go through five or 10 or whatever their story is. Maybe I needed 27 years because something big is is, is waiting for me. And I needed that 27 years of experience to be able to accept what's coming.
0: Well, I was going to say it all comes in, in if you're ready for it or not. And it just took you longer to get ready, but look at look at the amazing things that you're doing now. I love it i'm it This has been very, very powerful for me. I don't know if you've seen me cry several times um, and please i I tell everybody this it really makes me mad that Parents are still teaching their boys that they shouldn't cry, that that's not a manly thing. I am so sick of that. To me, it doesn't matter if you're male or female. It shows me sensitivity. It it shows me a kinder person. It shows me that it's, you have emotions and that's okay to have emotions. Um, And that's the way I have a boy and I've, always taught him I don't ever want you to hold back doesn't mean you're a crybaby. it means you have feelings it, you know and the other thing is if we cry we have a lot of people don't know this but we have these tear decks in here that actually open up and they release endorphins which actually helps you feel better so a good cry there's nothing wrong with it whether you're sad or you're happy, because I cry when I'm super happy too. Yeah, I, I'm just a sensitive person. I mean, like I see, like like I started crying for you not because I was sad, because I was happy that you found where you needed to be, that you found that purpose. That wasn't a sad feeling in me. That was a happy feeling, but that still brings tears to my eyes. If I see somebody that has absolutely nothing and they win the lottery, I cry. Because I'm happy for him.
2: <laughs>
0: so, and I'm not a big crybaby. Like I am probably one of the strongest women you can meet. I've been through so much, and I and I just keep fighting. But I have a I have a heart, a sensitive heart, and and that's okay. That's okay. So, Absolutely. I want you to know that's okay for you too. Because there was a couple times when you got teary eyed, and yeah. I love that you can do that. I, it. I have
1: to. That. I, I have to be real. I, I can't. I don't write anything down. I don't go over what I'm going to say because raw emotion is truth.
0: Absolutely. And people need
1: to. People need to hear the truth.
0: Yep.
1: And and the way that it affects you, it's genuine, and and it takes more courage to show emotions than it does to hold it back.
0: Absolutely. Okay. Well. I'm not sure the ending question that I can ask you because there's so many, but if you could find one, the most important thing to tell people out there, what would it be?
2: I lost hope and it almost cost me my life.
1: As long as you have hope, you have the ability to make things change. So long as you have hope,
2: you have everything that you need. Without hope, when I didn't have hope, it was the darkest,
1: most scariest place I've ever been in my entire life. When I found hope, when hope was given to me, it has been the most glorious thing I've ever experienced in my entire life from going to that deep, darkest place of not wanting to live to this place of all, to this place of I never knew existed or even possible. What an amazing gift to have, to have hope.
0: So there's there's a couple things that I want to say to you before we end this. And that is, I, I want to say kudos to your friend who at at the end, helped along with your wife, and I believe you said your mother. Yes, yes. Um, so kudos to all of them, but really, in the end, it comes down to you. Even though those people gave you options and supported you, you still made that final decision. And that may be hard for you to accept, But that's the truth. If if you had not made that final decision, you still wouldn't be here today. So please recognize that in yourself. I'm, I'm giving everybody else credit for leading the way, but you made that final decision. And you keep making that final decision every day to stay sober. So I still think you deserve a pat on the back.
1: I think chosen 4,722 times a day because that's how many seconds
0: we have in a day. Well, okay, so you make 4,200 and how many?
1: 4,722 times oh, a day.
0: Twenty-two, so make it 4,723. I don't care, make it, but congratulations.
1: Thank you so much. And I really appreciate you having me on.
0: I can't even wait to see how many people respond to this. And I'm really humble oh, thank going, you. I know it's going to be a big help to some people, and I pray pray, pray, pray that you're that person that they listened to that gave them that little bit of hope to stop that hope though you still have to accept Yes,
2: yeah,
0: you do so yeah, you. The initial hope should come from a higher power. It does come from a higher power, but whether you listen or not is the key.
1: I was lucky enough to experience that. Because they, some people don't. I was, and I'm not going to ignore it this time. I can't.
0: Don't. Keep on doing what you're doing. Thank you. It's been a pleasure and I, I you know, tell your wife too that I said that you're amazing, and I thank her for letting you come on here because there could have been things she wanted you to do. So she's probably sacrificing something too. Um,
1: she, she gets to watch her TV without me sitting there and trying to change the channel. She's <laughs> loving this.
0: Are you one of those? Are you one of those that changes the channels when commercials? Waits for start? me to
1: go to bed so she can watch her Grey's Anatomy or just just us or whatever it is. Yeah.
0: <laughs> well still she's amazing too you, you know she's went through a lot and she's still standing behind you and so she deserves that too and After, your children and and your 23 year old daughter who took did she take it upon herself to get those books
1: and she and she texts me quotes out of them and she said i'm starting to understand Dad." Like I've teared up at that. She took it upon herself to get a book to read up on why her father was an alcoholic. Yeah. I didn't ask her to do that.
0: So that's amazing too. So kudos to her. And in ending this, I'd love for you to do me a favor. Um, the last person that I interviewed, I, I actually got his book. Um, I think it's something that you could use. It's, it's a very quick read. It's like 132 pages. Um, but it's called The Ego Cleanse. I did put it on my stories. So I'm going to post it again tonight if you're following okay. me. Yes, um, I am. And I'll give you the link to get it. Okay. But I, I read it because I do my homework for whoever I'm going to interview. And when I got into it, I couldn't stop. And 132 pages isn't very long. But my yeah. man, did he hit home on so many things. You'll love it.
1: Awesome. No, I'm down. De- I, 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 I've been reading more books than I've ever read in my entire life about recovery and myself and spirituality. So I'm, I'm open to hear anything.
0: Now, I have Kindle unlimited. So I just did the Kindle version. So, and, and now when I just got my update on my Apple last night, I can read my stuff up and down instead of sideways. So I love it. Um, it just, the update was just last night and that's one of the first things they said you can now read your going this way so that's kind of cool but anyway the kindle is 499 if you don't have the unlimited so that's you know cheap but yeah. i don't i don't know if you have an iphone or not or an ipad yeah. regardless I, I think even android you can download kindle on right i'll click
1: on my when we get off here i'll go to my ipad and check it out
0: yeah Anyway, yeah. it's, it's amazing. I think you'll get through it really quick and I think you'll learn a lot, but okay. With that, thank you so much for being my guest. I'm super excited to hear what everybody has to say. Um, would you like anybody to reach out to you? Do you want to give your Instagram name?
1: If if anybody wants to ask me any questions or if you're, if you're doubtful in your recovery, or if you're having any issues, mental illness wise, or or if, or if you need some help with fitness or, or anything like that to help you really become a, a better human being, um, they can find me at T L O D G N at T-Lodgen. Um, I post my before and after pictures of when I was drinking and how I'm sober. I post my podcast. I post motivational things on there. So I truly like to do a bunch of positive stuff.
0: I'm going to pull you up right now. Ah, it's T what?
2: At T L O D.
0: Oh, at T.
1: Yeah, at T L O D. Do I have
0: to put the A T in there? Or no, the, the little at symbol. Oh well, I just because I think I follow you already, so I can just put the name in.
1: L O D G E N.
0: T L O G.
1: L O D is in dog. G
2: E
0: N. Oh, for logs yeah.
2: I got a lot of teas. This is weird. There's a tea log podcast. Are you part of that?
0: I've got T L O G in, and you're not coming up.
1: L O D is in dog.
0: Oh, no wonder. Yeah. There it is. There it is. Well, you've done amazing things, haven't you? I've been blessed. Okay. And so down here we have the podcast and all that stuff. So I will be um, editing tonight. <laughs> so. Hopefully this is Thursday. Hopefully it'll come out on Friday if not Monday.
1: Yeah, let me know. And I I'll post it right on my page. I'll put your link in there. And I'll send people your way absolutely. That's how we do this.
0: And when I get done, I definitely in my stories is cuz I need to about every 8 hours um give updates on on what I'm promoting. Absolutely. So, you know, because people have, from all over the world have different time zones and stuff. So Absolutely. Yep. Okay. Well, again, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure to speak to you, to hear your story, and to finally get to meet you. So, are you going to do any talking anywhere that anybody needs to know about that maybe they could go to?
1: My next actual speaking event will be in North Carolina. Um, it's August the tenth. Um, it is called Steve's Wings. I'll put. I'll be posting up some more stuff about it. Do you have a website? Um, you know what? I haven't got it up yet. People are asking me to do a website. People, uh, I, I was asked if I was going to write a book. Um, like, so I, I've, I've got it's some things going there. Yeah, I, I'm really. Um, somebody asked me I should be doing fitness coaching or life coaching or how to, how to overcome mental illness because fitness has really helped me um, stay focused and my diet has helped me like. I've got so many things that
0: I'm
1: thinking about. It really is. I'm just trying to stay grounded and balanced. Um, And I need
0: to see a life coach, which I'm one of them, by the way. But no, a life coach that actually helps you figure out a direction because like me, I have so many different options and things and too many probably at one time. But I have to Finish figuring out where am I going to end up being? I own a boutique, a fitness center. <laughs> I podcast. I I run fitness courses, teach one on one. Yeah, um, there's a lot with me too. And no, my only addiction is chocolate. Which don't you laugh? <laughs> don't you laugh because it's real. It's real. It's sugar. It's sugar and it's not good for me. And I could become a diabetic. But the worst thing is that I actually cannot just eat more. And that feeling of uncontrol, that I do not have control, is horrible. People laugh at me and go, oh man, I wish I had that addiction. I, first of all, I did live through all the addictions in the family. And I have a brother that is still an addict and he's never done anything for recovery. So he just went from meth to, he had to stop it because he had um, a stroke and they've got, he's got bleeders in his legs that they can't take out because it would kill him. So he's got a leg that's Paralyzed, basically, he doesn't have. Well, it's not paralyzed. He doesn't have any feeling though in it because of those blood clots. But they can't take him out. So, God is still talking to him with all these things, but he's not listening. He did quit doing the drugs and he went straight to whiskey. And and so he's doing whiskey. And I pray for him every day. He won't listen to my podcast because he doesn't want to accept that he's in there somewhere. Um. And that's his, that's his right. So pray for him, please. Absolutely. Um, well. Anyway, why was it? Oh, he, he, he says to, he makes fun of me when I tell him how bad my sugar addiction is. And the, because he says, oh, you're the perfect one out of all of us. You didn't do the drugs and you didn't do the alcohol. And I'm like, no, I unfortunately had to watch it all and experience it all. And my dad, I actually, so I will tell you that story real quick, but I'm going to stop recording, if you don't mind, and let everybody know where they can also find me. I'm Struggle Winner. Hey, everybody. And that's Struggle underscore Winner. And look, my Life Struggles podcast is another page, and that's where I'll be posting a lot of my podcasts, too. So thank you again. Love your story and we will see you or hear you on our next podcast.